Hey guys, it's Darren from the Whore You Know podcast. I just wanted to let you know some things that are going to be happening for future episodes. Um, some of the Whore You Know guys, we're getting a little bit busy with our regular lives. Uh, we all have regular jobs and families and things that we do and girlfriends and this and that. Of course, me and Trent don't have girlfriends, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, we're getting very busy and so we're going to cut back a little bit. We're actually going to only do two episodes a month and it'll be like every other week starting with this episode and that's kind of something we're going to do in the future. That way we could focus a little more on making better episodes, researching a little more and especially all of us hanging out together. So you know that's something that we had planned on doing when we started this and just making so many episodes and doing a time crunch kind of cut into that fun that we were expecting to have the whole time. And it got a little bit of, you know, kind of like a job or a little bit of a chore there for just a, a tad bit. So we're going to cut back. Um, hopefully in the future we can start doing some other things like, you know, we talked about the ghost hunting and, you know, maybe doing something else with the podcast, but Really, you know, we're just wanting some time with our family and, and more time to hang out with each other. So we're going to cut back to two episodes. I hope that doesn't disappoint anybody out there. And I sure, I'm sure it will disappoint some people. But, you know, maybe if we get the listenership up, you know, we could go back in the future to doing one a week. But for now, you know, just bear with us. We're going to do two, two a month. So, all right. Well, I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Horror You Know podcast. I'm Darren. I'm Ian. I'm Ian. And I'm Trent. And we are the Horror You Knows podcast. I don't know where we were going with that. Trent was smart. He didn't say shit. I saw where that was going a mile away, and I was just like, take a step back. Trent's a whole new man here. He's got a cleanly shaven face. He saw the light. He's been... Baptized by, by the breadsticks from Jindy's and cheese in his eyes. <laughs> or on his thighs, actually. Oh, shit. No, I'm just Sorry. kidding. Let me get that up here. <laughs> yeah, and we're back in Meaner Manor, too, so I feel like we're all Yeah, it's been a new while men. since we've been out here. Okay. We're usually at <laughs> Torn <Trent> Towers. <laughs> currently looks just like Ryan Gosling has Ken in the new Barbie movie. He just Ryan Gosling. He his, wishes his hair needs to be a You're little trying to have more a beach off. Long. I don't have his. I'll beach anyone off. <laughs> I don't have his abs. I can beach both of you off at the same time. I don't no have one is beaching anyone off. That tra- have you seen this trailer? No. That is For a Barbie? line from the tr- from the actual the Barbie movie. movie. Yeah. Want to have a beach off? You want to have a beach off? I'll beach you off right now. 
<laughs> I'll beat anyone off. I'll beat anybody off. Well, wow. you, you're not beating them off without <laughs> beating me off first. Do you feel like it's going to be more adult? And it like, seems it's like it. Definitely definitely that, yeah. Adult. Seems kids are like going to like come to the show with their parents and be like, oh. Yeah. Parents are probably going to be dragging their kids out cussing. <laughs> I don't know what that noise was. That was after Somebody the beach off. <laughs> I want my money back. Yeah, I uh, I disagree with your with your take, but thank you anyway. That you look just like Ryan Gosling. I, I need his washboard abs. I said he looked more like Hermie from uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Ooh, the one needs, could argue the dentist. He just needs his little uh, hat. One could argue Ryan Gosling at a young age looked like Hermie from Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. True, true. Yeah, but the argument Mickey Mouse days because you look just like Ryan Gosling. Mm. You've never Gosling. been able to dance like Ryan Gosling, though. No, uh, that's not true. I've seen him cut a rug. Have you? Yeah, he, he was down there with a box yes. cutter cutting a rug. <laughs> he cut a rug and put it on your puppet's face. <laughs> it makes your beard now. <laughs> it's true. It was an old bathroom rug. <laughs> Damn. He had to not give you really. the bathroom. I don't know. Means bought all that stuff. So I'm quite parched, true. Means. What do you got over there? I've got some uh, so a, a little tasty secret that we don't tell anybody about apparently okay. enough <laughs> i like where you're going with that it is uh we're, we're gonna take our little little opening shot what do we got here we got a uh, we got a little like, uh o- ole ole strawberry vanilla cream that you got in your hand and then we got some white chocolate strawberry cream there you i'm unfamiliar with the brand it's, it looks white like chocolate o- ole smocky oh. ole smocky <laughs> i actually believe fellas it's pronounced Oh, Smokey. Oh, that's right. It's been a while. Mo Anchan. <laughs> Banana pudding. Ole Smokey. White, white chocolate. Mo Anchan. You sound like uh, Will Ferrell when he was announcing. Was it, uh, is it Ellie? Eli? <laughs> I was thinking uh, Alice Cooper. He used to be called Millie Wake, which is Algonquin for hey. the good land. You guys like white zombie at all? Or Rob Zombie. Uh, I like Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. I like some yeah. Astro Creep. Alice Cooper. Yes. Yep. Like Alice Cooper. Of course. September. They have tickets on sale for Riverbend for the lawn section. I saw that. 80 some bucks for four. Ooh. Hmm. My four request tickets. is the Alice Cooper do poison the entire show. You just sing the whole show. Just well, that and he needs to feed my Frankenstein at some point, too. Man in the box, right? Somebody feeds your Frankenstein, you're going to have another kid. Stop. Okay. So we're going to take some old smoky shots. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. Start us off right. Mm. Only way to go. Only way to go. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. Banana pudding. Was that enough to wet your whistle, Torrance, since you didn't bring a drink? I'm a man <laughs> in a box. Wash that down with another breadstick. Yeah. Wash it down with bread. <laughs> Just wipe your lips with the bread. <laughs> like it's a napkin. You could just suck it up and have one of these. Those are absolutely, positively disgusting. They, it's an acquired taste. I'll give you that. I do not want to acquire it. <laughs> It'll probably choke him. Probably. Speaking of, what do we got going on this Whoa. week? Did you I'm just segue? Gonna, I'm going to do my best not to get all choked up on this episode. Do you have us in a stranglehold, Ted? <laughs> I wish I was that good. Uh, no, we're doing the Boston. I didn't know if he meant musically or like to strangle <laughs> yeah. somebody. Yeah, he uh, yeah, Ted, he does have a lot in common with this guy though. 
sexually that molesting young girls. Oh god, <laughs> yeah, cat scratch fever. Fuck that dude. Anyway, batshit crazy. Yeah, we're doing the Boston Strangler this or, week. Or dudes. Boston Strangler or Boston Stranglers? Lurls. Lurs, possibly. That's that what we're going to question. Into. They all represent one entity. 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 Again, Ian, not the Scranton Strangler, as you pointed out earlier. I still, I, I still get them confused. <laughs> Imagine Toby in the neck brace. Turns out I think he did it. <laughs> so how much do you guys know about the Boston Strangler? For reals. Now a decent deal after chokes. watching the movie. But uh, before, nothing. Beyond the movie, not a whole lot, and I didn't want to look into it. Was that the first movie you've seen about the Boston Strangler? It is. That I can remember, yeah. Wasn't they there made, an older movie? They made there an was, old movie. I never watched that one. But they also made a made-for-TV series, and then they've had him as a, on a couple other movies, kind of like an inspiration for the actual killer. Even though they didn't call him the Boston Strangler in the movie. The Office, yeah. So, yeah. And The Office. So, yeah, the Boston Strangler is uh, considered one of the original, like, serial killers that captured the imagination of an entire nation. So that's kind of his claim to fame. There's many killers that came before him, but he was the one that everybody really, really paid attention to in the news, and they wanted to study him, and uh, they didn't get that chance, obviously. <laughs> we kind of know the ending, because you saw the movie, right? Yep. Now we're. I'm going to put this out here just so you guys could kind of take heed. This is a trigger warning for any listeners that do not like to hear uh, very violent or sexual stories. This is not the one for you, so I'd probably turn it off now because this is a lot more. You think you know this? This is a 1950s, 60s type story, and everybody thinks when and stuff. You can leave. <laughs> you squeamish over there? A little bit. A little tempted. But I just wanted to give that out there because there are some listeners that have complained about misogynistic shit in the past from at least one or two of our episodes. So if you're listening again, or if there's anybody out there listening. If you're listening again, you didn't learn your lesson the first time <laughs> yeah. you came back. There's a, there's a lot of crazy shit in this one. So, yeah. I kid. I kid. My name is Trent. <laughs> we do get confused and his a name lot is Luca. Yeah, it's weird. Right. Do you want to give the people your address for Angry Letters? Uh, yes, I live on Point. Does Angry Letters still count as fan mail? Because I would welcome that. Yeah, man. Any uh, press? Is someone write press. us a letter. Exactly. The fact that people like still write letters. Deepest Trent. Send it via pigeon if you must. Only, only when they're angry. Via owl. <laughs> and scene. Okay, so I'm just going to throw out some facts, some of the stuff behind the case really quick, and we're going to talk about... I'm not going to go into great detail, but some of these I'm going to go into detail about the actual murders. All right. They're not great. They're so great. a lot of this yeah. stuff that I wrote down is stuff I'm going to skip over. Hopefully. Okay. All right. Which is I, that whole thing, right? <laughs> this whole book I wrote. The thesis I wrote on Boston <laughs> Strangler. thought that Means was doing a college essay. <laughs> Turning it into his professor. If the Necronomapod well guys t- are listening to this, well you know I'm well searched by, by this. All right. So between June 14th, 1962 and January 4th, 1964, that's when the murders happened, 13 women between the ages of 19 and 85 were violated, sometimes robbed, and murdered in the Boston, greater Boston area. All these women were murdered. 
That's what they had in the common in their apartments. They all had apartments. They were sexually molested, each one of them. Most, most were strangled with articles of clothing, not all. There was no signs of any forced entry on any of the murders. So they apparently either knew their assailant or at least voluntarily let them in. Um, so those are some of the things that they have in common. Sorry, you said, and this stuck out at me, you said sometimes robbed. Yes. That to me sounds like multiple people. Yeah. Why would you sometimes drive? Like, well, I took something from the last one, but I don't really need anything this week. Yeah. Maybe something well, just caught his eye. If he just wanted to throw the authorities off. Yeah. Why changing up like, your mind? Ooh, I don't mind if I do. See, that's a lot of that's a lot of the speculation. <laughs> yeah, it could be either multiple people or he's just trying to make it look like the MO's different every time. Yeah. Which I I understand, but at the same time, like wouldn't you change the killing pattern too? Like the nylon? Yeah. Possibly. Some of it does, though. I mean, some of it, not all of them, like, in the movie, it acts like every one of them had a bow around their neck, right? Hmm. They did not. Unless so. the tying the bow around their neck is, like, something that's, like, a symbolism to him to why he started doing it in the first place. He'd be able to switch everything up except for that one detail. Yeah. Well, here's here's the reason, going along with that line of thought, and we'll, as we go... You know, we'll just kind of formulate an opinion. We'll, at the end, ask what you guys think about it and who you think could have done it or whatever. Okay. So, of the 11 official Boston Strangling victims, uh, six were between the ages of 55 and 75. Or 85, I mean. Or 75, yeah. Two possible additional victims well, is were... Is it 55 or 75? It's 55 and 75. Two additional victims. The reason they didn't count the 85 was the two last victims, or additional, not last victims, two additional victims that they kind of said it could be the Boston Strangler, but they didn't attribute it to that case for sure right. with the public, was a 69-year-old woman and an 85-year-old woman. But you got between 11 of them, between 55 and 75, then the remaining five victims were considerably younger, ranging from 19 to just 23. So five of them were in their early womanhood. And then 11 of them were in their late 50s to 75 to 85. I mean, that's pretty amazing age range there. Yeah, it is. So that once again alludes to multiple possibly multiple, multiple killers. Uh, so the first one was June 14th, 1962. Her name was Anna Sleeser, and they found her uh, in her bath, basically near her bath. She'd finished dinner and just had enough time to take a quick bath before her son, Juris. His name is Juris. Juris. Never heard of that name. He was to pick her up for a, uh, she was Latvian, and oh. they were going to a memorial service, like a funeral service for someone. And just before 7 o'clock, he found her lying in the bathroom with a cord from her robe, her own robe, tied around her neck. He telephoned the police and his sister in Maryland to tell her about what he thought was a tragic suicide. So the guy, her son, thought it was a suicide because of the way it was tied around her neck. And apparently she was depressed days before, right? I don't know about you, but it would be hard to commit suicide that way, I would think. So I was kind of right? So it was just tied around the neck. She wasn't like hanging or anything from. No. So okay. that means she would have had to have choked herself 
not out, but choked herself to death, like lost like oxygen. Literally, yeah. she would have had to have been choking, but she would have lost the strength in her arms to do that. I yeah. would think while she's choking him, she's starting to lose consciousness, yeah. right? And plus two, like you know, I've never tried to choke myself. I mean, if you death. not if you like nodded it. I was going to say, she tied it tight enough in the first place just to restrict her airway after a certain amount of time, I guess. It'd be hard. I feel like it'd be really hard. It would be. I don't know. It just seems like a weird weird way to say it's a suicide. But anyway. Especially, uh, how old was she? The first one, she was 55. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it just seems weird that he would think that immediately. So homicide detectives James Mellon and John Driscoll described the scene. Mellon was always first to remember the sight of Leister's body, its sheer startling nudity, and the shockingly exposed position on which she had been left. So here's his actual quote. She was outstretched. She was a fragile-appearing woman with brown bobbed hair and thin mouth lying on her back on a gray runner. She wore a blue taffeta housecoat. I don't mean to laugh at this. This is what he was writing down when he was just like just writing down the facts. Do you know what taffeta is? <laughs> not even a little bit. That's not the little like um, candy substance that's in a pack. That has no, taffy, 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 taffeta. So I mean, it's it's just funny the wording. She wore a blue taffeta housecoat with a red lining, but it has been spread completely apart in the front. What is it? So, Did, do you I don't know. know. I don't know. Okay. I didn't look it up, but I'm assuming it's like a sheer housecoat. Like like kind of sheer. Coat? Oh, that makes more sense. Anyway, uh, it had been spread apart in the front so that from shoulders down she was nude. She laid grotesquely her head a few feet from the open bathroom door. Her left leg stretched straight out towards him the other flung wide open at right angles i don't know why he said right angles <laughs> could only be one right angle was it broken i don't know maybe uh, he was saying the right angles not a right angle i don't know i'm making or shit up this no i think i think we should give this guy his due though in all these cases we see so many like lazy botched police work let's give this guy some credit for being as descriptive as possible yeah. with all of this Notes here. He said uh, her she was bent at the knee so that she was grossly exposed. So basically one leg was out straight out towards him. The other leg was like up here at a right angle. All of her junk was hanging out, right? Straight towards him. And <laughs> the blue cloth cord of her house coat had been knotted tightly around her neck, its ends turning up so that it might have been a bow tied like little girl fashion under her chin. The apartment was made to look as though it had been ransacked. Anna's purse was lying open with its con- contents partially strewn about the floor. A wastebasket in the kitchen had been rummaged through with some trash on the floor. Why was he going through the trash? It's weird. Uh, Got to be a clue in here somewhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, like even the killer. Why is he going through the trash? Drawers had been left open in the bedroom dresser. Their contents moved about. A case of color slides had been carefully placed, not dropped, on the bedroom floor. It's kind of weird. Record player is on, but the amp had been turned off. But despite this attempt to make the scene look like a robbery, a gold watch and other expensive pieces of jewelry were left untouched. Anna had been strangled with a quarter of a robe, which had been tied around her neck in this bow. Her vagina showed evidence of sexual assault with some unknown object. What? Hey. Oh. So, that's why I said I gave you the trigger warning. Some of these get pretty rough. This guy didn't just rape or molest them and then kill them like it was 
So I'm going to sadistic. He 13 reasons them? Yes. So There's 13 victims. Jeez. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the next one is on June 30th. So you're talking about going from June 14th to June 30th. So this is within two weeks. Nina Nichols was murdered in, in 1940 Commonwealth Avenue in Brighton area, which is a little bit above Boston, I looked up. The apartment looked like it had been burglarized. Nothing's missing. She was found with her legs spread, her house coat and slip pulled up around her waist, tied tightly around her neck, were two of her own nylon stockings with the ends tied in a bow. So the second victim, exact same. She too had been sexually assaulted. Blood had been found inside the vagina. So uh, once again, something else was involved as as far as the rape. Some, some foreign object. They didn't see the... it yet. Random robberies would be, would, are, were all the victims, do we know if they were like of the same social status? Or no. We don't know, or they weren't? They weren't. They Well, they were in that they were single women usually, and they were living in apartments. But there's some college kids, there's some people that were reti- retirees that had good jobs at one time. So, I mean, they were all over the place. Okay. Sorry, you said college kids, and all I can think about is Tucker and Dale. Hey, college kids, we got your friend. <laughs> Where are you going? Trent, you used to tie your hair in ribbons and bows, didn't you? Yeah. Signed your letters. I used with... to tie Means' hair in ribbons and bows, and then he cut it. Well, Aww. I think he got tired of me doing it. We saw an <laughs> awesome Tucker and Dale. That was play. actually the mannequin he calls Darren that, that he keeps with me at his house. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. We saw who? Uh, Tucker and Dale cosplay at Horror Hound. Yeah, we did. We took pictures with them. Were they covered in the bee stings? You want me to pour some beer on your beer, some bee stings, and pull the stingers out for you? That would be nice, yes. So, the very same day, June 30th, 15 miles north of Boston, in the suburb of Lynn, Massachusetts, Ellen Blake met a very similar death between 8 and 10 a.m. Now, wait, what time was the first one? Good to note, they found this woman at 5. So this other woman they found, and she was murdered between 8 and 10 a.m. The 65-year-old divorcee had been strangled with one of her nylons. Her bra this time was looped around her neck over the stockings and tied in a bow. So he took her bra and tied that in a bow. Both her vagina and anus had been lacerated. Oh, my God. But there was no trace of sperm. She was found lying face down, nude on her bed, with her legs spread apart. The killer took two diamond rings this time from her fingers and ransacked the house. So, actually did steal from this lady. Hmm. But, once again, within two weeks of the first murder, two on the same day. You see the ramp up shit going on here? Hmm. Getting more confident, more cocky. Police Commissioner Edmund McNamara was very alarmed with these three recent murders all in the same way. A warning went out to women in the Boston area to lock all their doors and be wary of strangers. He canceled all police vacations and transferred all detectives to work for homicide. So he just pulled in a bunch of resources. Now, this is different than the movie. The movie acted like the women forced that upon the police because they didn't know what they were doing. In reality, within the first three murders, they were starting to create a task force to figure this out. That's a lot different. So this was so a competent the, uh, police force? Is that what you're saying? Because a lot of no, times it's not. I was going to say they're that, not okay. later on. Were the, kind of, but not. Boston PD as incompetent as they were portrayed? No. Seems but like... They, it's kind of both. You could tell they're trying, but they didn't get anywhere. 
to make yeah. sense. Yeah. But you got to remember this 1960s and they didn't have a lot of, I mean, it was like fingerprints, IDs. Yeah. Like DNA technology wasn't. Yeah. None of that shit was there. So on August 19th. So we're talking two and a half weeks later, roughly. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. 75. Yeah. August 19th from June 30th. Well, that's over a month. I thought you said Yeah, yeah, weeks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's over a month. Uh, 75-year-old Ida Erga, I-R-G-A, Erga, Irga. Sounds Ida Irga. Was found in an apartment in 7 Grove Avenue on Boston's West End. Police, and I think the West End of Boston has a little more money. I'm not for sure. Somebody call me on that if I'm wrong. Anyway, Police Sergeant James McDonald described on how he found her, quote, upon entering the apartment, the officers observed the body of Ida lying on her back in the living room floor wearing a light brown nightdress, which was torn, completely exposing her body. There was a white pillowcase knotted tightly around her neck. Her legs were spread approximately four to five feet from hill to hill, and her feet were propped up on individual chairs. So they were, like, up on chairs. Anyway, uh... They also had a pillowcase, or no, a standard bed pillow, less the cover, was placed under her butt. So I'm assuming maybe that was for the rape? I don't know. Or it was either that, or he was now positioning the body to whoever found her would walk in and see that. So it was like this embarrassing thing. You know what I'm saying? Like he was humiliating the body. Because he had her basically a leg in each thing, like stirrups almost. Um like a gynecologist. Yeah, I was going to say, he always left them exposed, all of the victims. Yeah, and the the interesting thing about this is the scarf thing at first was withheld from the press, but that definitely, like him posing the bodies, was withheld. Because it started getting more and more to where it's like, you could tell every time they're walking in a the door, they're seeing her exposed vagina or something, yeah. right? Was this one cut up in any way like the last one was it, did, it didn't say in the in the research i saw gotcha. but uh you know i'm assuming it, she probably went through the same stuff it just maybe he didn't get his violin or something with her within 24 hours of that murder 67 year old nurse named jane sullivan was killed in her apartment in dorchester across town from where i lived she had been dead for 10 days before she had been found so she was killed sometime in that month period, and they just found her, which is kind of sad. You know, like nobody's checking up on her for 10 days. Anyway, uh, police found her on her knees in her bathtub with feet up over the back of the bathtub and her head underneath the faucet. She, too, had been strangled by her own nylons, probably in the kitchen, bedroom, or hall where blood was found on the floor. And so her being a nurse, you figured, like, somebody from work or something like that would have been concerned within those 10 days about her not showing up. Yeah. You would think. You would think. I mean, this is a big city too, though, so maybe a lot of people work with her and they just thought she was somewhere else in the hospital or something, you know, yeah. if they don't work with her every day. I don't know. Uh, she may have been sexually assaulted, but the corpse is so badly decomposed it cannot be determined. So, I mean, that shows you they did not have hardly any forensics back then like they do now because they would definitely be able to tell if she'd been violated mm-hmm. now, even with decomposition. Uh, however, there were blood stains on the handle of a broom laying in the room. Uh, so, that. probably, yeah. 
There was no signs of forcible entry, entry, nor was the apartment ransacked. Even Jane's purse was found, you know, untouched. December 5th, Sophie Clark, a popular and attractive 21-year-old. This is where it changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. 21-year-old African-American student at the Carnegie Institute of Medical Technology was found by her two roommates. Now, interesting here, three things. One is she's a student. And young, two is she's African American, and three is she's studying to be a nurse. So there's like a connection kind of there, mm-hmm. but we don't know for sure. But this has been in the papers for a while now. So now is where people start thinking copycat possibly, right? So also, and this is maybe nothing, but the first however many did you say that did they all live alone? Yeah, this is the Divorces, first I've heard of widows. This is the first one I've heard where you've mentioned roommates, which yeah would make it much riskier if it mm-hmm. was the same person mm-hmm. too. Yep, and she had two roommates. So, but if you notice too, time of day is important. This is not at night. These are all during the day so far because they're finding them in the afternoons, like early in the morning. Yeah, something. So and almost everything is different except for the light nurse connection. Between these two yeah. and the other ones, yeah. I mean, the other ones definitely there's a there's a type, right? Yeah. White women, older, older than fifty. Mm-hmm. Living 50 alone, seventy. Yeah. Living alone, in apartments. Here's and the other thing, though, like most of them, you notice where were robes. They were in robes, so it's like maybe early in the morning. Well, that and or they're just retired. For- well, I was going to say, it's more common for, I would think, women in their 50s to 70s, especially in that time frame, to wear a lot of robes. Yeah. This makes me wonder, and I know we're probably going to theorize more later, but like this would have to be something that a lot of time would have to be put into. Like You'd have to like stalk these people and know that they when live they're alone. alone. Yeah. That, I mean, like, if you're saying there's like murders every day, or like if there was one, there's two in one day, you said, and then yeah. the others were like a couple days apart. So I'm like, either... This person's getting lucky, or he's doing a lot of like prep ahead of time to yeah. well, figure this out. Similar to the movie, I would think it would be easy to go in an apartment during the '60s and be like, act like you're a repairman. Yeah, I'm here for maintenance. You saying like maybe he did Super that with simple. a woman, maybe had a family, yeah. decides not to kill that woman, does it again to this well, woman? He She's have alone. Well, it's a super. Let's not, not bury leads yet, but some of that stuff's coming. <laughs> Okay. Well, well I, I said we'll probably. Ask, well, I was going to ask yeah. if that was true, but I didn't want to break. I figured there was well, more to come. That's what I thought. Like, let's talk about the, the that. whole time you've been talking because you said one of the things was apartments, and I thought, well, back then it'd be easy because there was a lot of like the apartments had uh, like furnaces, right? Like the big radiators. Mm-hmm. So radiators, yeah. chain to the radiator. So stuff like that, I would think like you'd be able to come in and be like, yeah, I'm here to fix this, right? But you don't actually kill her. Just yeah. kind of you check it out. You check it out, and then you come back, or you'd be like, yeah, I needed some parts. I'll be back in a few days to fix yeah. it. Yeah. So you're scouting. Yeah. Scouting. Well, listen to this interesting stuff. Sorry, I mean to break She was from the back bay area, a couple of blocks away from the Anna Sleaser's apartment, which is the first victim. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting Ooh. areas. Yeah. He's, he's doing a hunting ground. Yeah. Right? Um, Sophia lay nude with her legs spread wide apart in the living room, strangled by three of her own nylon stockings, which had been knotted and tied very tightly around her neck. Once again, it's not a suicide. 
Uh, her half slip had also been tied around her neck. There was no evidence of sexual assault. Or no, I'm sorry. There was evidence of sexual assault. And this time, for the first time, semen was found mm-hmm. on the rug near her body. Sophie was black. She was young. She did not live alone. Also, for the first time, there's evidence of semen. Those are all three new things. Okay. A neighbor said that there was a man that came by to paint the walls on the super's request. When the woman told him that her husband was sleeping and she had to be, he had to be quiet, that man kind of got mad. And then he said he had the wrong apartment and immediately left. She mm. then heard, oh. she then heard somebody knock downstairs at a downstairs apartment, which so happened to have Sophie Clark in it. Okay. She said he was 25 to 30 years old, of average height, had honey-colored hair. That's important later. Honey-colored hair, wearing a dark jacket and dark green trousers. Remember that, Wells? Dark green. Sounds like a horrible dresser. Trousers. So that's that's really interesting that you guys mentioned all that, and you're hitting almost the nail on the head. He is possibly getting lucky because he's knocking on the door, possibly, well, like what I this said, other witness good, and, shows. And, and I did watch the movie, but I honestly feel like if I wouldn't have watched the movie, I would have kind of gathered that too because, like I said, the time frame, it was just much more common to have the – which I don't know if it was more common for the super to actually be the one or if they had people they sent to your apartment for that. I thought the actual super did the maintenance. Like they had a live-in guy, yeah. you know what I mean, that – wasn't like the building owner. A lot of but, times in buildings, like it's that way. Like whoever runs the building fixes all the shit. Lives there too, yeah. right? Yeah, but He's in big cities call. with like a lot of apartments, you never know if they're just contracting stuff out and true. stuff. But it's people, very true. I mean, they had. You gotta remember back in the '60s. I grew up in the '70s, and I remember still. And this is how old I am. I remember milkmen. Yeah. We didn't go to the store and buy milk all the time. We had actual deliveries of milk still. Yeah. We had hey, deliveries. I remember bottles. a guy would come with like uh, boxes of like. He came a lot, didn't he? Wow. I'm just kidding. If you guys That's could a just lot see, of milk. see the wrong my story for that joke, Trent. <laughs> he, so, was just, he was jumping at the bit to tell that <laughs> yeah, joke. He, he was, was waiting. I bet the milkman milk visited man. your house a lot, didn't he, <laughs> Means? So, yeah, what I was thinking was it would be easy to go in and just like you just said, like, oh, well, I'm here to fix this. Like, oh, be quiet. My husband's home. Oh, I have the wrong apartment. Yeah. Like, did I say fix this? I'm sorry. I meant not. You're not uh, in the makeup a name. Take off. Yeah, yeah for sure. What's, what, what's that? <laughs> Take off running. Like you fucking Marty McFly. What the hell is that? <laughs> so three weeks later, Monday, December 31st, 1962. 23-year-old Patricia Bissett was found in her apartment by her boss that got worried. He got worried about her and the apartment custodian. He got him to let her, let him in. They found her face up in bed. Now, this is kind of weird though. Like if you think about that, the boss is worried about her. So he comes to find out like most bosses wouldn't do that, but a custodian lets him into her apartment because he's worried. That seems a little sketch in itself. Oh, I was Trent's boss. I used to go to his house and check on him all the time. Yeah, I didn't ask for it, but he did. Yeah. Sometimes it was the middle of the night. He was sleeping. Check, check his oil. I don't know. I, I didn't seem all that sketchy to me. Like, 
Nothing does, do you? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I just don't, I don't, you said this was the 60s. This all seems I don't know natural. I'm just saying I don't think somebody today would just let somebody in an apartment. Oh, she's well, not here. Let's just well, walk in I'm our apartment. I'm saying like these days you could call the police and have them do a welfare check. I don't know if it was the same back then. So. That's not a welfare check, though. That's some random dude getting a custodian to let him in. He's That's just weird. Like boss. Yeah. yeah, but he was he was essentially doing a welfare check himself. I'm not denying that. Well, I'm saying it's weird. It's weird sure. that the guy just let him in. Yeah. Anyway, they found her face up in the bed uh-huh. with covers drawn up to her chin, looking like she was taking a nap underneath the covers. So this is the first time somebody's covered her up, and it wasn't a show. So mm. that's kind of different, because the last woman wasn't as posed either, right? Uh, underneath the covers, she lay there with several stockings knotted and interwoven with a blouse tied around her neck. There were evidence of recent sexual intercourse, she was in the early stages of pregnancy. Ah. Oh. There had also been damage to her rectum. So, once they'd done the autopsy, they found a lot of uh, uh, lacerations and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, that one was a little more brutal in my mind. Plus, it was like the person wasn't trying to display it. So, that's why... You know, in my mind, it could have been a different person at this point. We don't Wait, know. Did you like say a early copycat. or later stages of pregnancy? Early stage. Yeah. So, see, that's why I don't think it was that weird because this is the 60s. This guy showing up, he's like, I'm this girl's boss. She hasn't been at work for so many days. She's pregnant. I'm kind of worried about her. They go down there to her apartment, they knock on the door. Nobody answers. They might hear a TV or they hear music playing or something. And the super or whatever is like, okay, I'll open the door so we can check it out. I'm a boss. She's pregnant. I may have impregnated her. She may be killed. It wasn't me, but I just want to check on her. Yeah. But A, we didn't know that a moment ago. I was going to say, I'm not going to assume that. B, we also don't know that she was forthcoming with the pregnancy. Like, if it was early stages, we don't know if she was showing. She might not have told anybody she was pregnant. And the way that reads, it reads like the boss might have had something to do with that. Right, but, which the movie touched definitely. Yeah, you know, yeah, did their version of true. Yeah, um, and I'm I think the guy's a good guy for going and checking on her. I'm not saying that. What I'm Hopefully. saying is just the super letting him in just seems like you that wouldn't happen nowadays. Hey, could you right. let me in here? What do you need to go in here for? I just want to check on her. Uh, that's a good. Okay, one. yeah, <laughs> here you go. Access somebody's house. Did, okay. did the super not go in with him? Make yourself at home. It did, I did, I'm it just saying, say. there could have been a lot of stuff leading done. up to the super unlocking the door that we don't have the details on. That's true, but the details we do have, we think it's weird. I'm saying, <laughs> like, the it, there could be more to it, but... <laughs> it it is what it is. Let's move on. Early March of 1963, 25 miles north of Boston in Lawrence. So this is a little bit outside the town now. 25 miles. 68-year-old Mary Brown was found in her apartment. So we're back beaten, to elder, older. I won't say elderly, but we're back to... Beaten to death and strangled. In that order? Well, it, he beat her enough to where she could have died from the injuries. And she got strangled. Forensics back then probably couldn't tell which... Well, that's her. why I ask, because if he beat her to death and then he strangled her, See, you know that's what I mean? What I'm like, saying. He's making it look like the M.O. of somebody else. That's like, what I'm saying. Like, once again, again this That's M.O. why I asked. Is, I wasn't actually trying to be a smartass this time. Yeah, I understand completely. It's a totally different M.O. Mm. at this point. Like, it's like they're trying to strangle 
someone to make and rape them to make it look like it was what's in the paper. Mm. I don't know. It, it just seems really convenient. They beat her to death and then strangled her. Um, and once again, she goes from 23 years old to now six. This woman's Mary Brown's 68 and way outside of town. She is married. You said her name was Mary. No, her name was Mary Brown. It didn't say she was married. So I'm assuming single again, but at the same time, you know, that's. So that's also something I was wondering about. I don't know what the statistics was in the sixties, but it wasn't more common for a woman between those ages to be single and to live alone. You know what I mean? Like somebody in their twenties to thirties would more likely be married starting a family because that was a lot more common back well, then. Well, I mean, People the, got married uh, real quick and everything. the average age probably was younger than it is now for mm-hmm. people dying. You know, your life expectancy in the 50s and 60s probably was a little lower. So one would say that maybe the husband was if you're already, 50s, 60s, like age, like I don't want to say over the hill, but you're definitely like toward the yeah end of your life cycle. So that's what I'm saying. Like they're more than likely to be alone, right? Possibly. Yeah. Also, I don't think I mean, it was common like, if they divorced back then uh, remarry so quick. So especially if, if that's they were divorced old. Probably and plus alone. too, I mean, they were in apartments, so maybe they were spinsters and never got married. You know, some of these, it doesn't say they were, were divorcees or widows. So, um, okay, so May 8th, that was March. So we're May 8th, a few months later. Beverly Simons was found in an apartment by a worried friend. She lay directly in front of her sofa. Her legs spread apart. Her hands had been tied behind her back. And one of her scarves, a nylon stocking, two hand, hand, handkerchiefs. <laughs> I hate saying that word. Handkerchiefs. Handkerchief. Handkerchief. Tied together, were tied and knotted around her neck. Over her mouth, a cloth had been placed. Under it, a second cloth had been stuffed in her mouth. So she just had shit literally all over, like all kinds of ties and bows not and literal stuff shit, Trent. not literal shit that's like your look on your face mm. while it appeared that she had been strangled she had in fact been killed by four stab wounds to her throat so now yet another different kind of murder looked to be you know totally different than the strangling so then go ahead I'm sorry that's four stab wounds to her throat then within further inspection I don't know why they need further inspection maybe because of all the shit, quote-unquote, all over her body. Mm-hmm. She had sustained 22 total stab wounds, <laughs> 18 of which were a bullseye design on her left breast. Damn. So somebody stabbed a bullseye it's around like her nipple. It's like doing a pumpkin pattern or something. I know. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> this is weird. Is there a pumpkin pattern? You know how you stab a pumpkin a lot in a row to make a pattern? You know what to cut? That's what it reminded me of. Now, here's here's where a lot of people think this wasn't the Boston Strangler. The lit- ligature around her neck was decorative and not tight enough to strangle a human. That's what I was going to ask. Are we to assume that if these killings all didn't have the common thing of having a bow on their neck, that they would even be related at all? Like, obviously, the first two or three you said, but then, yeah, we're starting to get way off track, I feel yeah. like, here. The bloody knife was found in the kitchen sink, so they didn't have to go very far to find the weapon. She'd not been raped by a man or an object, nor were there any sperm present in or around her body. It was estimated that she had been dead approximately 48 to 72 hours and probably been killed between Sunday and Monday morning. So, 
I feel like this MO is all over the place, way different. September 8th, 1863, or 1963, 1863. We're going way back. They're really stretching here. And that way, wait, wait, sorry. From their 50s to their 150s. (laughs) The last one was just a handkerchief on the neck. Is that what you said? He actually said handkerchief. 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 So, yeah, that definitely sounds like a guy that probably killed this woman. And then, obviously, the Boston Strangler is big in the news. What's a guy probably have on him back in those days? Oh, shit, I better put something around her neck. Yeah. Pulls a well, handkerchief there, out of his pocket. That's what's Not weird. It, it was a nylon <laughs> stocking and then two handkerchiefs tied together around her neck. But they weren't tight enough, either one of them. But it just sounds like he kind of something he did at the last minute just to be like, oh, yeah, let's do this. So they think Oh, fuck, I just killed this woman. What am I going to do? They'll we'll think it's the Boston, the Boston Strangler. Strangler. Yeah. It's like, well, first of all, they never use handkerchiefs. <laughs> oh, uh, close enough, right? So September 8th in Salem, Massachusetts, Evelyn Corbin, a pretty 58-year-old divorcee, I did find that on her, who passed herself off as more than a decade young, younger than what she was, so she looked like she was in her 40s, uh, was found murdered. She had been strangled with two of her nylon stockings. She lay across the bed, face up and nude. Her underpants had been stuffed in her mouth as a gag. Around the bed, her lipstick marked tissues that had traces of semen as well. Sperm was found in her mouth, but not in her vagina. Her locked apartment had been searched, but apparently nothing was stolen. A tray of jewelry had been put on the floor, and her purse had been emptied onto the sofa. One strange clue could not be explained. Outside her window on the fire escape was a fresh donut, which had not deposited or been thrown away there by anyone in the building so apparently they asked everybody do you know anything about this the donut? cops <laughs> the cops on the scene yeah. where'd you get that it was over there it was it was laying on the counter so this That's is evidence this is similar to the first one evidence but it doesn't it doesn't match the ones right before it right but, I mean, there's semen there, there's the ties there and everything. It's a little bit different, but it's about the same. November 25th, Joanne Graff was raped and murdered in her ransacked Lawrence apartment. We're back into the area of Lawrence. Two nylon stockings have been tied in an elaborate bow around her neck, just like the first few. There were teeth marks now on her breast. The outside of her vagina was bloody and lacerated. At 3.25 p.m., the student that lived above her Heard footsteps in the hall. His wife had been concerned that someone was sneaking around the hallways. So he went to the door and listened. When he heard a knock on the door of the apartment opposite his, the student opened his door to find a man about 27. I don't know why that's specific. About 27 with pomaded hair, which is like that greasy stuff they used to Mm -hmm. put back in the 50s and 60s, uh, dressed in dark green slacks. Mm -hmm. Snappy dresser again. Uh, and a dark shirt and jacket. Does Joan Graff live here, he asked, mispronouncing Joanne's name. The student told him that Joanne lived on the floor below the apartment at which he was knocking. Moments later, he heard the door open and shut on the floor beneath, assuming that Joanne let him in. Ten minutes later, a friend telephoned Joanne, but there was no answer. Went there to find her. That's got to feel terrible for that kid. Like, oh, Joanne, oh, she actually lives downstairs. Thank you. Yeah. Then you found out she's been murdered. Yeah, that that's pretty bad. Which I know there's no way for him to know that. But But it seems like we're going back to the original, right? Mm, Kind of. Seems like it. All right. So January 4th, 1964, two young women came home after work to their apartment in 44 Charles Street. They were stunned to find their new roommate, 19-year-old Mary Sullivan, murdered in the most grotesque and shocking fashion. Like the other victims, she had been strangled. 
First with a dark stocking over the stocking, a pink silk scarf was tied in a huge bow under her chin, and over that another pink and white flowered scarf. A bright Happy New Year's card had been played placed at her feet. So mm-hmm. somebody put a little Happy New Year's card at her feet. It got worse. She was in a sitting position on the bed with her back against the headboard. Thick liquid that looked like semen was dripping from her mouth onto her exposed breasts. A broom stick handle had been rammed three inches into her vagina. What the fuck, man? This is the worst Uh, one. This is the worst one. We just got through the worst one. It was was my grossed out face. That's awful. This is horrible. That's why I read the warning because when I read this one, I was like, this is going to... This is going to set off some people when they listen to this, possibly. Cause... It's like the Gainesville Ripper and all the gross stuff he did. By yeah. Opposing yeah. people. Even worse. Worse, yeah. Worse than him. I mean, like the broomstick handle rammed into her just and just left there. Just described was horrible to even, like, think about. But we're once again, we're back to the actual original murders with the bow. We're back to the, you know... So he's getting not only brazen, but he's like still posing them, right? Yeah. So it's still kind of a game to this dude. On January 17th, 1964, the highest ranking law enforcement officer in the state of Massachusetts, Attorney General Edward Brooke, made the case his own, showing the city that it was his top priority of the, of the state now. He made it his top priority, creating what he called the Strangler Bureau. So he got... Uh, some of his top men around the state and and pulled the FBI in with some of their top men to create like a task force to start looking for similarities to all these and seeing if they could find similarities to other criminals that have committed similar rapes and stuff like that. I think you'd do that after three maybe, but what are we on you now? Think, like 10? Like, yeah. But that goes back to like... It's the 60s, man. Yeah. It's our like, excuse for everything. And like some of these people are like, I don't know. The young girls, you would think, would trigger that. but Yeah. I don't know. A couple years before the strangling murders began, so here's what's interesting. So we're kind of going back in time here. A series of strange sex offenses began in the Cambridge area. So this is why I put that there so you could see that they were looking at old cases to see if there were similarities of, you know, they didn't know anything about serial killers as much as we do now, but like the ramping up type stuff or similarities in the rapes and stuff. A man in his late 20s would knock on the door of an apartment, and if a young woman answered, he would introduce himself. This is what he typically told the women. My name is Johnson, and I work for a modeling agency. Your name was given to us by someone who thought you could make a good model. He would hasten to assure her that the modeling would not be in the nude or anything like that, just evening gowns and swimsuits. He would pay her $40 an hour. He had been set sent to get her measurements and other information if she was interested. Apparently, a number of women were interested and flattered and allowed him to take out his tape measure and measure them. On March 17, 1961, the Cambridge police caught the man trying to break into a house. Not only did he confess to breaking and entering, but he confessed to being the, what the newspapers were calling, the measuring man. It was his nickname in the papers. (laughs) His name was Albert DeSalvo. A 29-year-old man with numerous arrests for breaking into apartments and stealing whatever money he found. He lived in the Malden area with his German wife and two small kids. He worked during the day as a press operator in a rubber factory, and the judge ultimately felt sorry for him because he was the main bread earner in the family, and he had two kids. So they reduced his sentence. He received 18 months. With good behavior, he was released on April 
1962, two months before the first victim of the strangler, Anna Sleazer, was found. Old DeSalva, huh? Old DeSalvo. Old 29-year-old DeSalvo. Old, 20, <laughs> old man. You know somebody's going to get that title in this episode. Hey, back in the 60s, yeah, that was a pretty old man. <laughs> so let's I'm talk about ripe him. ripe 30s by now. Let's talk about him. Albert DeSalvo was born in Chelsea, Massachusetts, September 3rd, 1931. He had parents, Frank and Charlotte, and he was one of five, or one of six children. His father was violently abusive, who regularly beat his wife and children. As a boy, he was delinquent. He was arrested more than once on assault and battery charges throughout his adolescence. He went through periods of good behavior and lapsed into petty criminality. His mother, Charlotte, remarried and did her best to keep her son out of trouble. Their relationship, aside from the disappointments she suffered when he got into trouble, was reasonably a good one. He he then went into the Army from 1948 to 56, and while stationed in Germany, he met his wife, Irmgard Beck. I'm sorry? Imgerd. Imgerd? Imgerd. Ermgerd. That's how you say it backwards. How do you say it forwards? <laughs> Drachmerd. <laughs> I don't know. She was an attractive woman from a respectable German family. At one time, he was promoted to specialist E5, but later was demoted for, for uh, failing to obey an order. He received an honorable discharge. In 1955, he was arrested for fondling a young girl, but the charge was dropped. That year, his first child was born, Judy who had a physical handicap. Uh, this problem had a large impact on DeSalvo's home life. His wife was terrified that she would have another child with a physical handicap and did everything she could do to avoid sex. DeSalvo, on the other hand, this is where it gets interesting, had an abnormally voracious sexual appetite, according to her, requiring sex many, many, many times a day. Voracious. Voracious. Between 1956 and 1960, he had several arrests for breaking and entering. Each time he received a suspended sentence. In 1960, his son Michael was born without physical handicaps in spite of his brushes with the law. Albert seemed to stay employed. After he worked as a press operator, he worked in a shipyard and subsequently as a construction maintenance worker. So he was like just a blue-collar kind of guy, went to the Army and stuff. His one fatal flaw was he liked to do some petty theft, and he also liked to have sex all the time, right? I don't think that's too much, right, Trent? <laughs> he was an infant. Most people who knew him loved him. His boss characterized him as a good, decent family man and a good, hard worker. He was a very devoted family man, treated his wife with love and tenderness. Aside from being a thief, he had another serious character weakness. He was a confirmed braggart. I guess he'd brag, he, would, he would brag all the time, even to the point of lying, just uh, to make himself look better. Okay, never, never lie on your penis, gentlemen. Come back to bite you later. Wait, what? Wait, wait, what? I don't think he was. I don't think it was, is that what he was lying about. <laughs> I think he was just a liar. He's a braggart. Oh, he's just a liar in general. I see. We you jumped to a big conclusion there. <laughs> a big conclusion. So. He always had to be on top of the other uh, person, no matter what the situation was. on your <laughs> the, commission, the police commissioner summarized the problem as DeSalvo was a blowhard. So, like, he, he basically would just, like, shoot his mouth off and just lie about everything, no matter what. Early in November 1964, almost three years after he'd been released from jail, he was arrested again. This time the charges were more serious than breaking and entering. 
and measuring prospective models. On October 27th, a newly married woman lay in a bed dozing just after her husband had left for work. Suddenly there was a man in her room who put a knife to her throat. Not a sound or I'll kill you, he told her. He stuffed her underwear in her mouth and tied her spread-eagled position to the bedpost with her clothes. He kissed her and fondled her and then asked her how to get out of the apartment. You be quiet for 10 minutes. Finally, he apologized and left. The police sketch reminded the detectives of the measuring man, so they thought of DeSalvo and brought him in. Where they would, she was able to, the girl was able to observe him through a one way mirror and she picked him out of a lineup. There was no doubt about it. He was the man. He immediately was released on bail by the judge after threatening to kill somebody and fondle and rape them or whatever. It doesn't say rape, but fondle them. So, in the true story, she did pick out the right person. Yeah. What? In the true story, she did pick out the right person the first time. Well, this is uh, this is like not the killings. This is like before the killings. Still, uh, it's just weird. He threatens her, ties her spread eagle to the bed, gets on top, starts nibbling on her neck. Okay, you think this is going one way? I mean, I'm glad he didn't do it, but the fact that he's just like, like, yeah, like smacking her titties around. And then he's it was like, just more of like a. How sexual do I get out of here? It was like a sexual assault. And they apologized on the way out, yeah, like, too. So My bad. Like, but here's here's fuck? what I'm starting to think, though. If he did some of these murders, if you look at the ramp up, he went from just petty crime stuff to then he was touching a little girl. Mm. Then he was like, you know, had to have sex all the time with his wife, and his wife didn't want to. And then, like, he gets to this, and he kind of feels bad, it looks like. He apologizes. And then it just possibly keeps on ramping up, right? tracks i think possibly so that's why i like it's weird because like in my mind i'm thinking that he did it and did he but just, then other times i'm like did he do it did he just leave her tied up there or did he untie her before he i left? did i don't have that because you said that he told her to wait 10 minutes I think yeah like that time that george costanza was in there and he was tied to the bed and she <laughs> left him and she robbed him though <laughs> yes so he was released on bail routinely his photo went out over the police tell teletype network and soon calls came in from Connecticut where they were seeking a sexual assailant they called the green man because he wore green uh, trousers. Trousers. Uh, those Police. trousers again. Ah, those trousers. Must be his murdering pants. Police arrested, <laughs> Police arrested him at home and arranged for the victims to identify him. He was mortified that his wife would see him in handcuffs. His wife was not surprised though. She said, Albert is always obsessed with sex. No woman, one woman could ever be enough for him. So she's already admitting he's probably guilty. At least they referred to him, what was it, the trouser man? Measuring man. The measuring man for his first set of crimes he got arrested for. Now it's the green man. Because of his green green trousers. Okay. Better than the trouser snake, right? (laughs) Is it though? Yes. (laughs) It is. (laughs) So, in fact, the green man had assaulted four women in one day in different towns throughout Connecticut. His wife, t- so he was like actually outside of his area at that time. His wife told him to be completely truthful, not hold anything back. He admitted to breaking into over 400 apartments and some rapes. Oh my God, damn. He give, said give he had assaulted. Money. 400 apartments? How dare you, sir, <laughs> to say that anybody's giving me a run for my money? You need to respect. 
My criminology. You guys do remember he's talking about raping people. Right? I know. I was I was like, he's going to defend himself. No, he just. I thought he was about it. to be like, don't fucking compare me to that. You can compare me <laughs> no, to he, a murder. Straight up, like, yeah, he's I got like, the how record. How dare you? I got the record. Say somebody's yeah. on my level. <laughs> I got to keep you all in jokes. Oh, okay. God, please. So he said <laughs> he. <laughs> He said he assaulted some 300 women in a four-state area. Given DeSalvo's tendency to lie and brag, it's not or it's difficult to tell the actual number. Oh, I didn't think about so, that. Oh, it was at least 400. Yeah, so That's it sounds like, who's sounds the like other? he's got the uh, who was the other one? The Stilt Chamberlain bullshit <laughs> yeah. meter over Gene here. Simmons. What's the episode we did where the guy always bragged about all the killings, and it turned out he like didn't do any of them? You remember that? It was yeah. one of your episodes, I think. And he was like kind of an kind of an like a dummy. Yeah, he wasn't very smart. Uh, go back and listen, guys. Let us know. It wasn't uh, West Memphis Three, was it? No, no. There was this killer that was similar but to that, where they that took guy credit did for a lot it, of. Though, didn't they? Like... Was it Henry? I think it was Henry. Henry, Henry. Was Otis. Killer. Yeah, yeah, Otis. Maybe that was it. Henry the one, and Otis. The one guy was like saying stuff. But he for sure was not done. Right. Because he was saying he was like yeah. all over the Midwest yeah. in like a two-day period killing I all these I think people. it was uh, Henry. Yeah. I think it was Henry. Anyway, that's what that reminded me of. Sorry. So, where am I at? Given his tendency to lie. Okay. Many of the instances had gone unreported because the women were reticent to describe what all that person did to them. So, he was doing some crazy stuff at this time. And then he even said, if you all knew the whole story, you wouldn't believe it. It'll all come out in the end. You'll find out. So. Cryptic. <laughs> he must have been like already killing some of these other women. And that's why he was saying that. Uh, DeSalvo was sent to Bridgewater State Hospital for observation. While the police did not believe him to be the strangler, they wanted the psychiatrist there to examine him. Shortly after he arrived at Bridgewater, a dangerous other criminal named... George Nasser also became an inmate. He had been charged with a vicious execution-style murder of a gas station attendant. He was no ordinary thug. His IQ approached genius level on the 150 scale. Hmm. His ability to manipulate people was highly developed. While in prison for an earlier murder, he had been studying Russian and other subjects. He put in, he was put in the same ward as DeSalvo and kind of, DeSalvo and kind of became his confidant or friend, and they were talking about their crimes. Uh, in March 1965, DeSalvo's wife, Imgird, got a call from her sister, sister's house in Denver from a man named F. Lee Bailey, who said he was Albert's attorney all of a sudden. She was told that Albert had confessed to being the strangler, and she hung up on the man in disbelief. Albert was starting to think about money, Money specifically to support his family while he was in jail. He had a pretty good idea that with the charges against him, he would probably end up going to jail for the rest of his life for these rapes and everything, right? So somehow he had to take care of Irmgard and his two children. So the idea of selling a story and collecting reward money began to take shape possibly in his mind. And uh, do you mean the Boston Strangler it's quoted? Albert said yes. Are you mixed up with all of them, Albert? Did you do some of them? He said all of them. Albert admitted he thought the story might bring some money for his family. Meanwhile, Albert went to Bridgewater and struck up his friendship with Nasser. Regardless of whose idea it was, the two discussed the reward money for information leading to the conviction of the strangler. 
they had mistakenly assumed this is how like I the guy's supposed to be a genius, the Nasser guy, but they mistakenly assumed that the ten thousand dollar reward money was going to be paid for each victim. Yeah. So they thought they were getting a hundred and ten thousand dollars for the eleven official victims. And so Nasser was wanting to turn him in and, and if DeSalvo confessed, they would work out a deal to split the money. Fifty five thousand apiece, right? Well, there was only ten thousand dollar reward, which I find quite low for that many people dying. I mean, that was probably a lot more than that. Yeah, but what five to ten now? Ten thousand for say everybody. Ten thousand, you split it. It's only five thousand apiece. It wouldn't, yeah. be, it wouldn't be worth all that. It might be like a year's salary or something. Yeah, but I wouldn't, wouldn't go to prison worth, for yeah, that for the rest of my life. Right? Yeah, that's not gonna help your wife the and kid. Ten, you're talking about, yeah. So. How F. Lee, but you guys know who F. Lee Bailey is, right? Mm-hmm. He's the douchebag in like the uh, <laughs> the glove murder, the glove murder, the juice. F. Lee Bailey was one of those, huh? Wasn't he? He was no. the original con- consultant for that. I don't know. He I, I thought that was, was um, yeah. That's he what brought, I was thinking of. He brought okay, Cochran so, in. He brought all oh. brought all those guys Cochran. in. Kardashian. <laughs> Johnny Cochrane. <laughs> so so he was he was George Nasser's original lawyer and he heard about DeSalvo from Nasser and basically he went and like kind of got some questions from the uh the cops and the district attorney to ask him to see, you know, how can I tell if this is really him? So he went in and like brought in a they called it a dictaphone. So a Basi- dictaphone. It's basically an old style recorder. A dick phone. A dick phone. <laughs> put your dick up to this phone and put talking to the balls or <laughs> dictaphone. So it was a dictaphone that he took in on March sixth <laughs> to ask him some questions. Not only you did you say dictaphone, I think of a dildo that folds into a fucking put, cell your, phone. put your dick to this phone. A dictaphone. <laughs> I was so thinking of an old like rotary phone where you pick up the shaft and you like dial on the. Oh, balls. you pick up the shaft, all right. The shaft. <laughs> So this is March 6th. Not only did Albert confess to the murders of the 11 official victims, but he also admitted to killing two other women, Mary Brown and Lawrence, and an elderly woman who died of a heart attack before he could fully strangle her. So he he said, I tried to kill her, but she died before I killed her. When Bailey questioned him on what DeSalvo wanted of him, DeSalvo was quite forthright. I know I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life locked up somewhere. I just hope it's a hospital and not a hole like this. But if I could tell my story to somebody who could write it, maybe I can make some money for my family. Bailey asked him questions from the police investigation and taped it to verify that he was actually a killer. Bailey went away from the interview saying that he was 100% sure DeSalvo was the killer. He described some of the actual home layouts of the place and the placement of the bodies, which people did not previously know. He knew details about Sophie Clark being on her period at the time, Mm. and he said he threw away her um, feminine napkin on the floor, which was a detail they didn't release to anybody. He also described a brand of cigarettes that he knocked off the bureau onto the floor while rummaging through her drawers. So he was given actual real stuff here for a while. However, he didn't have... He didn't have all the information. So, like, some of the information was true. Some of the information was false, right? Right. So, 
it's kind of weird that I mean he seems like a fairly smart guy, not obviously as smart as Nasser, but like he could remember details. And they said he almost had like a photographic type memory where he could remember minute minute details. But how would he forget some of the stuff that he did? I mean, it was just less than a year before, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know. The, the issue of intensive questioning on him on all the murders and checking out every detail of his confession was critical. Finally, on September 19th, the interrogation was completed. More than 50 hours of tapes and 2,000 pages of transcription came out of this. So they, it's not like they didn't do their due diligence on trying to figure out if he was the killer or not. You know, they, didn't, they weren't right. just, like the movie showed it, like they were just pinning on somebody really quick, Right. So that that's one thing I have against the movie that we talked we're going to talk about is it's a lot different than what the true story is, I think. It seemed rushed, didn't it? It, it seemed, seemed like rushed. we were at one point and then there should have been a buffer like a something in between two scenes. Yes. And it was like it got cut out because it's like one moment they're talking about like like you brought up earlier Wells that uh she points to Nasser and not to Albert, right? Yeah. She's like, it was him. Yeah. And he's like, not only did we not get a, a positive identification, she identified somebody else. The very next scene, he's confessing. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and what? And see, that, that's what, Just it happened. goes in to talk about this, but like, because they did like nab somebody else for it. Mm. They didn't see him, they seen somebody else. But It did seem rushed, but also believable. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a movie, so if you don't like look at the true story behind it, like, there's a lot in that movie, though, that seemed true, to be honest. Yeah. But then there's some things that it's almost like they're just trying to lead you into a direction that they want you to go in. So uh, details piled upon this, and he recalled uh, his career as the strangler, murder by murder. He went through every one of these. He knew where a notebook was under the bed of victim number eight, Beverly Simons. He knew that Christmas bells were attached to Patricia Bissett's door. He drew accurate floor plans of several victims' apartments, but some people said, well, he could have been in some of those apartments before because they all look alike on that same block. Yeah. Uh, he said he'd taken a raincoat from Anna Sleaser's apartment to wear over his T-shirt because he'd taken off his blood-stained shirt and jacket. Detectives found that Mrs. Sleaser bought two identical coats and had given one to a relative. Oh, thank you, Ian. I was very dirty. I needed that. <laughs> They showed the duplicate to DeSalvo along with 14 other raincoats tailored in different styles, and he picked the exact one that he stole. Okay? So there were different things that he actually confessed to that was spot on. Doubts about him, though. Here's some of the doubts. Kenneth Rowe, the engineering student who lived on the floor above in Joanne Graff's apartment, did not recognize DeSalvo when he was put in a lineup. Eileen O'Neill could not identify DeSalvo as the man she saw in Mary Sullivan's bathroom window around the time of her death. Plus, Kelly points out three fresh Salem cigarette butts were found in an ashtray near Mary Sullivan's bed. Neither Mary nor her roommate smoked this brand. A Salem cigarette butt was found floating in the toilet on apartment 4C in Boston the day Sophie Clark died there. Albert DeSalvo never smoked. So there were cigarettes around where people didn't smoke and he didn't smoke. Even more remarkable were the reactions to the two very important eyewitnesses had seen Albert and his killer friend, George Nasser. Marcella Loca, who lived in the apartment building, uh, same apartment building as Sophie Clark, 
had an encounter with a man called Mr. Thompson. <laughs> Mr. Who? <laughs> had an encounter with a man called Mr. Thompson who said he had come to paint her apartment. Gertrude Gruen was kidding. <laughs> Gertrude Gruen was considered at the time the only woman who survived an encounter with the Strangler. She had given her attacker a good fight, and he fled. However, they did say that George Nasser looked very similar. So remember, we were talking about that one described him as the more light-haired guy, right? Honey. Honey honey hair. Honey hair. Uh And if you've seen Albert DeSalvo, he has jet black hair. Right. Right? So... uh, the only difference was his now dark hair was compared to his honey-colored hair at the time of the attacks. He could have dyed it, but they both picked out Nasser in the lineup. They didn't pick out DeSalvo. So what's with that? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know your mind could, like, play tricks on you when you're trying to see somebody or, or remember faces. That's why they don't use them in courts now as yeah. much, like eyewitnesses. Right. But... It's weird that they, if you've seen DeSalvo, real pictures, and we'll put one up online probably when we do it, he has a very prominent nose with kind yes. of a hook. It's like a hooked nose. Mm-hmm. Looks very Italian. He does. Looks very Italian. The Nasser guy looks totally different. We'll put them side by side. They look totally different, right? The guy from uh, one of those guys that plays on Sopranos reminds me of. Yeah. You know which actor like I'm talking Stevie about? Like Little Stevie or somebody? All of them. Yeah. No. <laughs> All of them. How dare you? <laughs> Profiling. Distance. I know. Profiling. Means is part Italian. I know, you. man. Come on. Are you? I don't he looks know. like Which it. part? His elbow. The little one. <laughs> Newspaper accounts were extraordinarily detailed. The, rec- the record American printed up a chart along with the victim's photos called the Facts on Reporter's Strangle Worksheet. This chart was a summary of all the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Doesn't he? Michael Imperioli or yeah. something. Yeah, he does. He looks like him. Tell it looks like a like... more dapper version of Steve oh, I thought that I was like, that's the actor. That's not... He yeah, should, he should have played the like Boston him. Strangler. Yes, I haven't he looked should've. him up yet. There were newspaper accounts that were extraordinarily detailed called the Facts on Reporter's Strangle Sheet, Worksheet, put in the newspaper... They said that DeSalvo had memorized this chart, and it's apparent because he regurgitated not only the correct data, but also some of the misinformation that it contained in the chart. So he probably like memorized some of this stuff, is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Leaks by law enforcement agencies, particularly the Strangler Bureau that's put together, the Strangler uh, Bureau, which was criticized for being lax with its accumulated material, and the Suffolk County Medical Examiner, who allegedly held a number of unauthorized press conferences throughout the city in which he freely distributed information about the autopsies. So there was all kinds of information about this that they said they weren't telling anybody, Mm -hmm. but they were telling everybody. Mm -hmm. So it was just being spread around pretty easily. And DeSalvo could have got in on that. His own research as a burglar put him in many of the apartment buildings in which the women were murdered, so he probably knew all the layouts. Information deliberately and inadvertently fed to him by people anxious to wrap up the investigation, such as lead John Bottomley, who, according to Kelly, did knowingly and quite intentionally provide DeSalvo with information about the murders while he was taking the latter's confessions to them, which explains why the only version of the confession ever made public was abbreviated and heavily doctored. 
the full version virtually exonerates DeSalvo. So leading, where have we heard that before? We've heard a lot of leading in these type of stories, right? Mm, yeah. Especially in the uh, West, West Memphis, Memphis 3. and Because the cops need to close the case and make themselves look good. Yeah. So. Possible information provided by another suspect could have coached us out on the details. And George Nasser, a lot of people think, gave him a lot of information. Finally, experts never saw the stranglings as the work of one individual, so a lot of experts never were on board with him being the actual killer. The M.O. were not identical, and the victims as a group were quite dissimilar. Serial killers tend to uh, stick to their M.O. with a particular type of victim, so that's definitely a thing, right? I would think. Yeah. Yeah. The trial started. It had its issues. Basically, DeSalvo's confession was inadmissible. So his entire hours upon hours and pages upon pages did not see the light of day. January 10th, 1967, he was tried on the green man charges, the rapes. Bailey explained that, quote, the basic strategy by which I hope to convince a jury to find Albert not guilty was by reason of insanity. And it's simple. I would attempt to use the 13 murders he had committed as the Boston Strangler to show the extent of his, his insanity and obsessions. Bailey certainly had, he said, uh, certainly the problem was unusual. I wanted the right to defend a man for robbery and assault by proving that he had committed 13 murders. That's the fucking weirdest, most genius thing I've ever heard. I'm going to try to make sure he goes to a mental institution by saying he committed these murders. Yeah. Confessing to those. Like, he committed this murders, but look at how sick they all were, too. All 13 of them. He's got to be fucking crazy. But they're not trying trying him for the murders here. you got to remember that. He's getting tried for the rapes that happened during that time or before that time. Right? None of these murders are in the trial. She mentions that in the movie, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they did throw those out. The prosecution said all the green man crimes were similar. DeSalvo would either jimmy the door or con his way into the apartment verbally. He would tie the woman, strip her, fondle her breast, demand fellatio or cunnilingus. He stopped short of rape. He used a knife or a toy gun to ensure cooperation. After he was done, he took money and jewelry from the victims. Bailey said in his opening statement that he had no doubts DeSalvo committed the crimes as charged, and the only issue was whether the Commonwealth could prove that he was not insane. Bailey brought forth his expert witness to testify uh, to Albert's paranoid schizophrenia. They said that while Albert knew what he was doing was wrong, his green man crimes were the result of an irresistible impulse for sex and violence. To me, that just says, okay, you're, you're exactly what you're saying you are. Does that mean you're crazy? No. It just means you're, you know, you're somebody that's into sex and violence. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's admitting to it. The jury thought about it for just four hours. They found DeSalvo guilty on all counts and sentenced him to life in prison. The psychiatric help he wanted had been denied. So he didn't go to a psychiatric hospital. He was going to prison. DeSalvo was serving his life sentence in Walpole State Prison, now called MCI Cedar Junction, where he was stabbed to death in the infirmary in November of 1973. So six years later, he got stabbed to death. That's something that wasn't in the movie. I acted like it was that... A year later, right? Like during. Wait, all yeah. Of it. So it was six years later. Okay. Six years later after it. So 67 to 73. The night before he was murdered, though, just like in the movie, he telephoned someone, not the woman, 
Hmm. Not the cop, but Dr. Ames Roby, which was a psychiatrist, and asked to meet him with him urgently. The salvo was very frightened throughout the week, and Roby promised to meet with him the next morning, but Albert was murdered in the middle of the night. Albert asked, had asked one other person to meet with him and Roby, and it was a reporter. He explained he was going to tell us who the Boston Strangler really was and what the whole thing was about. He had asked to be placed in an infirmary under special lockup about a week before something was going on within the prison. I think he felt he had to talk very quickly. There were people in the prison, including guards, that were not happy with him. Somebody had to leave an awful lot of doors open, which meant because there were several guards, one would have to go by there, and there had to be a fair number of people paid or asked to turn their backs on this. But somebody put a knife into Albert DeSalvo's heart sometime between evening check and the next morning. Officials believe that Albert's death was related to his involvement in a prison drug operation, is what they said. Three men were trialed, but the trials were hung juries and they got off. So nobody was ever convicted of stabbing him in the heart. Of course not. But they had to get in there somehow because he was like basically away from the population. Right. right. The real problem with the notion of the Boston Strangler is the M.O.'s. For one murder to another, there were less similar than the official police statements admitted, and Kelly summarizes some of the more obvious differences. No similarity, whatever exists between delicate killing of Patricia Bissett, whose murder tucked her into bed, and the ghastly homicidal violation inflicted on young Mary Sullivan, whose killer's intent was not to just degrade his victim by shoving the broom handle in her, but to taunt whoever discovered her corpse by placing a greeting card against her foot that they can find. One woman was stabbed, but not sexually assaulted. Another was raped vaginally and then strangled. One was left on the floor, posed provocatively. Another leaned over the bathtub. There were cigarette butts at two crime scenes, but none others. On July 11th, 2013, or 2001, I, I had to preempt this. This has been going back and forth for a long time. Of people saying he did it alone. Or people saying there could have been multiple people. Okay. Now going in the movie. They talked about that one guy that went to Michigan. The boyfriend. Right. Mm-hmm. Remember that dude? He. That was an actual person in the in real life. But the murders that happened in Michigan. Had really nothing to do with him. And they proved it. They were just similar to. Like copycat strangling. But there were murders because I was going to ask you that. There were some murders in that area, but he was checked out and there was nothing wrong with those murders. It seems like a pretty big leap, even for a movie. Like this movie's trying to be as close to real as possible, you would think. Is he the one? And then all of a sudden uh, it's just saying. Making shit up at the end. The detective calls Loretta about him. What? Is he the one in the movie where the detective calls Loretta about him and he's like, I think this is related to your case? Yeah. No, that was another guy. Oh, no, yeah. That was someone from New York. Yeah. So there was like three or four people that the movie wants you to think that it is. Could be like a husband. They show that one husband might have killed his wife and blamed it on the... So they're kind of putting those people out there, but like... So so what they did in 2001 with DNA evidence, they decided to try to link or exonerate him to at least one or two of the murders that had the semen still, right? In 2001, they said there was no DNA match to him. So it kind of exonerated him a little bit. They redid it in 2013, which is just, you know, 10 years ago. 
July 11th, Boston law enforcement officials announced DNA evidence linked DeSalvo to the rape and murder of 19-year-old Mary Sullivan, the brutal one, with a broomstick. Mary Sullivan was the last victim and the only murderer that was linked to DeSalvo. More than a decade later, in 2013, Albert DeSalvo's body was exhumed in a second by a second time, like I said, by investigators, and it was DeSalvo's nephew who collected in secret from a discarded water bottle. Uh, they were following his nephew around, got a bottle from his workplace, and then checked that, compared that DNA to the semen sample, and said there's a high probability. So then with that information, they dug up his body, with that, because you, I mean, you have to either reopen the case or find evidence that would prove that we can now dig up his body to see mm-hmm. again. So they did it again. The results matched him to 99.9% uh, DNA from that and Massachusetts Attorney General Martha Coakley. I'm sorry, I'm reading all over this. Little font, little font, Trent. Martha Coakley announced that the comparison of DNA evidence from the crime scene leaves no doubt that he was responsible for the brutal, brutal murder of Mary Sullivan. The odds that the semen of the crime scene belonged to someone other than him was 1 in 220 billion. Mm. Coakley said that it was the most likely DeSalvo was the Boston Strangler. So here's my thing. This only proves that he killed that girl. The one girl out of 13. The one girl. She was young. It doesn't prove that he killed the other women, but... It doesn't disprove it either. They just seem so dissimilar. But at the same time, if you look at the way he was, he was like a sex fiend. And it's like he was ramping up, possibly. So maybe he would rape an 85-year-old woman and a 19-year-old woman. Well, but it goes back know. to my original theory. It's more than one. If it is like the Nasser guy or somebody else that they know and they tell him about it and he gets it in his eye, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They get drunk or whatever, buddies talk, and then he's like, oh, I mean, you've done 12. I'm going to do one. I know. I'm sounding like a crazy he did, person. He didn't know Nasser until he was arrested, person. though. He was already in prison. But, or but he wasn't, was in, there a, wasn't there a third guy, that Daniel guy, or was he just made up for the movie? He wasn't in the story. You know what I'm talking about, the crazy yeah. boyfriend? Yeah. I know they the, all uh, met when they were in the hospital, but. Yeah, that guy didn't meet him in the hospital well, in, in reality. Like, if they put my picture in the paper, I'll just start over somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, that that's not the, the crazy guy in the movie where but, she goes to talk to him and he's like, "Come right back here in this dark corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Come back here and talk to me back yeah. here." I'm like, "Please." And she's like, that. "Oh, I just remember I have anywhere else." to But be. in the in the in the real story, there was a guy that moved from that area to Michigan, and some murders happened. That was the link for the movie. But the movie went and had a meeting, and they knew each other. And all like, but the Nasser thing was a bad example. I'm just saying, like maybe he knows who the man in the green. Slacks was trousers. The Salva was the man in the green trousers. It was we're saying, thing. I didn't think the hair matched though. We're saying he was he the killer. Yeah, but I didn't think the hair matched. I thought you said at one point there was a guy with honey hair, and then later there was a guy. I thought that was for the murder. That was the woman upstairs from one of the murders. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, he came back and did somebody else. Like later, he with the college student. He showed up at the college student's house asking for Janice or whatever her name was. Janet? Janine? Jo- Joan? Joan, yes. Joanne. Jolene. Joanne. Jolene. 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 <laughs> I'm with you. It, just, it said pomaded hair. It was dark pomaded. It just had 
grease in it. So right. he doesn't you say also it was believe light. it was multiple killers? I but think he was wearing green, right? He was wearing green. Because there was a story you said earlier, a guy was wearing green and he had honey hair. You said remember that later. I think right. DeSalvo did a lot of them, but I do think there was more than one person. Yes. You think he did a lot of them? Yes. Hmm. I'm split in the middle because See? I do agree that he probably ramped up because I think that pattern was there. But I think there's just too many differences in some of the other killings. I feel like maybe the first sin were like. I don't know if he was in on it or if we, like we said earlier, people were I just mean, taking advantage. Like they did it together in on it. It's like he knew what was happening. I think it was just that MO was out there already because the Boston Strangler was in the news. And so I think people kind of covered up their own crimes by making it look like it was him. That's what I think possibly a couple of But I do of think DeSalvo did. I don't think necessarily there was a like a, a serial killer out there beside him. No, I don't I think either. he was the one serial killer, it and there might have been a couple of Murders people murdering him. Let's tie a bow on this so yeah. it looks like. I don't think DeSalvo did more than the one they could prove. I think the first like 10 probably were like the same person, and then the last three were copycats. With any prolific serial killer, there's going to be copycats. Within five or six, though, they changed the different MOs. Like it was like the fifth. Like, that was the first like, like five, right? Uh, as far as changing the muzzle, you just talking about like the robbery, like. Well, the robbery and then the no, like the, the age cuts and the age, the, st- and... the way of killing, yeah, because there was so there were six six between fifty five and seventy five, and then the seventh one was twenty. So that seventh one, and then the next two or three were young. Then there was an old one right in the middle. Then the young, old, young, young. Then there was semen in some, not in others. There yeah. was signs Posing. of sexual assault. There wasn't. Yeah, some weren't posed. You know, I don't know. Maybe it could be someone trying to change his MO to not be the same every time. And but... I want to say I read somewhere where he saw himself in the mirror and didn't attack one of the women he was going to rape because he saw himself in the mirror and felt bad and left and apologized. And I didn't write it down. But I don't know when that happened, if that was before the murders and it was during the rapes, or if it was the measuring man stuff. Because it was like the measuring man, he went from there to molestation, to rape, to rape and murder. I don't know. But also, like, if you're that into sex, like, I've never been, like, that into sex to where I had to have it, like, 20 or 30 times a day. Right. You know, it doesn't say an actual number. <laughs> but. <laughs> It's got a lot of kids. I was gonna say that's why he has twenty kids. Of course, he has to have it that often. But yeah, yeah. he's still right? over there cheesing like yeah. You if know. that guy is that into it, <laughs> two that I know about, and he's oh. going around doing all these burglaries and stuff, like yeah. would he rape a eighty-five-year-old woman and kill her, and then go to the very same day rape a sixty-year-old woman, the very same week later rape a twenty-year-old? Like, right. would he do that? That's the thing we got one or two like. It could have been different killers, but then again, it could have been a guy that's just smart enough to know that I got to change my MO. Was the rape the, proven on the older victims, though? I thought those were mainly just foreign objects. But how often does that happen, though, with serial killers? I know that's like, still it just said there was no semen there. Where they change up their it, MO? Like, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if they know for sure. if You couldn't tell back yeah. then, probably. <laughs> Especially if you're ra- uh, raping somebody that's old versus somebody young. Hate to say it, but there might be a difference in anatomy. Well, I'm sure that not sh- doesn't show a rape as easy. Maybe not. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know either. To uh, answer your question, though, like it's that's not a real common thing for serial killers. Typically, when they get into a routine or a pattern, they'll stick with that. So that's what I'm saying, though. 
But I would like to think that some of them, like a small percentage of serial killers, are smart enough to know that they should change up their MO to throw the law enforcement off their trail. So you would like to think that, but yeah. has it happened that we know of? I don't know. Okay. I think it's happened a few times, I'm sure. I don't think any, like, I don't think every serial killer is going to have the same MO. You know what I'm saying? Like, hmm. or the patterns. I mean, I think that's just a guideline. But at the same time, this guy seems like he's manic about stuff when he does it. Like, it's measured, and he knows day. what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, it. but it's also like he's just doing it at the spur of the moment at the same time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, he's smart enough to not get caught, but he just does crazy shit. Like, mm-hmm. semen all over their mouths and neck and stuff. Like, you do that today, you're going to get caught. Yeah. So, like, back then, it's like he would just, it was like he was just doing different things, but it kind of similar things. Yeah. But they could, you know, like Trent said, it could have been different people just blaming the whole scenario on something they wanted to do. And like the stabbing, the breast stabbing bullseye, that seemed yeah. weird. Yeah. Uh, well, I like how the, uh, the, the beating, the one was beat up. You beat, said. Her, beat her to death. What did you all think of the strangler the movie, movie version of the, the Boston one? Strangler? Little woke. No, I I'm just kidding. Little woke. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was slow to start. It got better towards, I'd say, the last half. Definitely was a little better. It was definitely more of a pro-feminist type movie than what I was expecting. But at the same time, I I didn't mind that. It was actually. Well, it was part plot. of the true story, apparently. Part that of the we true didn't, story didn't cover really, but yeah, those two ladies apparently did a lot yeah. of digging on this. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that it was a really good movie with that storyline, but I don't know. Yeah. It, it it almost like towards the end when it started going with all these different scenarios, it really makes you instead of questioning it, makes you think this is the truth. And I don't like that about that movie. Because that's not the truth. We don't know what the truth is. You can't say this is well, the truth. Well, that was my first thought. We can't the handle too, the truth. Because the very end was like, you, you can't know, handle the truth. Like all true. true movies do at the end, they have like the little kind of where are they now credit yeah. kind of things at the yeah. end. And they were going through and talking about these women and how, you know, one went on to do this and one. And they did. This. And that, then, I did fact check that. That was one all true. went on <laughs> to become a medical journalist, the other one. Yeah, which is great. Kudos. Reporting. Kudos. But then at the like end, the it was next saying. 30 years. Like one of the last parts it said was that. You know, they they pinned the one murder on DeSalvo. The other 12 are still unsolved. And I'm thinking, like, what did they actually do then? Like, the crime's not solved. I mean, it's still kind of... Exactly. I'm not trying to take away, but, you know... Once again, even though the 2013 evidence pinned the DNA on him... But they named him the... They did name strangler. That's a great name. That's a catchy damn name. But that's what I'm saying. Like they did not, they did not try it. And that's the thing I hate about this story is because there was no trial for any of the families, for him, even in you you know, post death, posthumously. (laughs) I love my filter. (laughs) Pop filter. He's going to be in his car next week. Oh, shit. Shit. <laughs> but there's no justice for any of these people. Yeah, that stinks. I mean, even DeSalvo's nephew who tried to find out if his uncle did it or not. You know, this one murder is the only thing they pinned on him. And Was his that confession. enough for the people, you think? For them to think. If I was a parent, no. If I was a parent or a daughter or anything with those people, nope. This movie reminded me of of a not as good version of like Zodiac. 
Where the Thank paper yeah. is the one driving the case. Yeah. They don't actually solve anything. Yeah. I'm sorry, I got excited. Yeah. Because I, I was just getting ready to say this. <laughs> this movie for me was like right up there with Zodiac to where I enjoyed watching it the first time and I was interested in the story and the uh, how it was going to turn out and everything. But I don't feel like it's exactly a movie that I go back and be like anxious to watch again. It, it's like if somebody idolized David Fincher but was making a made-for-TV movie with a David Venture kind of style You mean mind. like Manhunter? Mindhunter? Yeah. Mindhunter? <laughs> You're thinking of Maneater. Manhunter. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that statement. It was a good movie. Yeah, it wasn't it bad, wasn't. but it wasn't great either. Now, Kira if you watch the old, like, 1968, right after it happened movie that had Tony Curtis in it, totally different movie. That movie is like not even like accurate at all. It's not like they just took I mean, the name and ran with it. Like, Somebody was just I like, mean, it's oh, about Albert DeSalvo, but it's like it just it's totally different. It's trying to go into the mind of how he was during the killings, and hmm. I don't know. It was it was way different. Not a fan of that movie. I loved Before, how supportive her husband was in the movie. I, don't I was know just why. about to bring him up. Really? Before we end our discussion on the movie, we Are have to talk about... Are you being sarcastic? No, I'm serious. Like, he was very supportive of her. And he fucking what? left her. What? He left her. Uh, that man was uh, pissed at her for three straight let years. Me finish, let me finish. <laughs> up until the point where he got tired of her shit because she was like making everything about her in this case. He hyped her up to do it at first, though. He's like, there at you first, go, babe. Go ahead and do it. And then she does it, and he's like, I can't believe you're can, you keep can running. I can't believe you're not like, cooking tonight. Three straight years, he glared at her. He was supportive. <laughs> like, you hold a grudge listen, like no one I've ever seen. Me, though. He was supportive of her until the point where he told her <laughs> that he got day. a promotion. And she's like, pretty much like, I don't give a fuck about your promotion. What's this got to do with my story? I don't think that's how it happened. I think it was the fact that he was like, oh, I'm promoted, and I'm doing this. It's starting next week. And I think she was upset, like. You didn't talk to me about it before. You just he just took the promotion. He, didn't he never to- told. He, he didn't never told her. To to oh, me. listen to me. He never sixties. <laughs> he never told her that he was up for a promotion. She put, should have been barefoot and pregnant. He, <laughs> bar- <laughs> he barely even had time to make her a plate. She's sitting there eating it cold because she didn't have so much time. What's funny though is I thought he was being sarcastic. He's like, <laughs> I thought yeah, he was too. Yeah, I thought he was. But yeah, too. the support. I was, I was like, oh really? Because I was like, I was watching this with Shelby, and I was like, what a good supportive husband. And then he completely one eighties. I said, well, never mind. Fuck that guy. After. A certain amount of time, he was very supportive in the beginning. Though that's what I'm saying. Like he was very supportive, and then all of a sudden, because he was encouraging her, like, "Oh, it's amazing! Like you're the first person." To He's break one of those this, husbands that's supportive of your wife, awesome. knowing that nothing's really going to happen because yeah. she's not good and enough. The but then it does happen. She's a woman. Like, He's like, He's like, she's oh, a woman. She's not going to get that. You actually are successful. Well, not, fuck that. Who's going to take care of me? You're not going to leave, right? You guys are so fucking loud right now. <laughs> I got to all redlining. We got our second wave. I feel I like I another thing. I personally felt like he was supportive up until the point that he felt like that she didn't give a fuck about what he had going on in his professional life. He was already oh. being a dick before that, though. Yeah, saying she has to take care of the man, huh? Well, you know, I don't know. I can't believe you just gave him kudos and then you're like. He was the victim all along. Why? Never had dinner ready for him at night. He didn't no one to rub his feet. He, he didn't was, ask for much. He, he was to very supportive for a He didn't really support her, though. 60s. How do you consider that supportive? He gave her shit for three years. For like three straight shit. years. All he did was glare at her. <laughs> after. <laughs> from across the road. <laughs> after that incident. Like, even when he's like, you ever going to quit working? Even after he's like, you know what? Most most wives would be proud that their husband got a promotion. And she's like, 
fuck this guy. He's right, but and I don't again, care. And again, I think it was the context. It wasn't the fact that he got the promotion. He was just like, I start next week. <laughs> he's you like, gotta what, quit your he's job. He's like one of those assholes that goes and like, oh, honey, look, look what I got. It's a new car. It's on the driveway. <laughs> well, honey, we can't pay our bills. I don't care. I want a new car. Well, I got a new car. He didn't say that she had to stop doing everything. He said, you're just going to have to start doing your part. But she. What is she, your part? But like, she even mentioned you're going to be like out of out of town like two or three days a week, and he's like, yeah. he's like, what? You expect me just to quit my job? He's like, I just expect you to do your part. Okay, so what does that mean then? Quit she would job. have to scale back on her job. That he and, encouraged her. And, to yeah, do. I was going to say, and also that that brings up the uh, point that the male versus female dynamics in marriages. Then, like, why does the female have to give up? a full-time career for a, why can't he stay home with the kids? True. You see what I'm saying? Like, I would have to ask his more, his bringing more to the table. At that point. She obviously is. She's trying to catch a killer, but is she actually bringing more money to the table? Because oh, of it? oh it's about, it's money. about money. <laughs> well, here we go. You got two kids, you got a house. You got what about all the like, women that are being slain? You can't pay for your house and your kids on good ceiling. She can't bring the money Well, in. she apparently was. They were making it. No, nah, he was doing that. He was probably How one of the killers. He was doing it. I don't, I don't. He assumed, I'm right? Guessing. I like busting your chops. That husband was one of the killers, I'm guessing I guarantee because you. She, up until that <laughs> story, she was that, only actually. doing like Lifetime articles, which was probably not bringing in a whole lot of... That wasn't her like, choice. She was being pigeonholed by her boss. It was not her choice, but it doesn't change the fact that it is what it was. But we don't know what he did for a living do we? before he got the promotion. Did we know what he was doing? Yeah, where was he at three nights a week? What was he doing? <laughs> Why did he have all these lingerie That's a good question. Man, neckties in his he was, yeah. trunk of his car? <laughs> Every time he comes <laughs> to the table feeding the kids, Whatever he's got like a little necktie. <laughs> he's working down at McDonald's, babe. The McRibbage is coming back, and guess who ain't getting one? You. What, what did he do, Means? <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't in the story. I didn't research him. That's what I'm you know saying. what did happen to him? His ass got left. He did say that at the end of the movie. He but, left his ass. But he, he did you away. were over there arguing like, oh, he was clearly the breadwinner. What was his occupation? Well, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> but he had to have been bringing in the money. <laughs> what was he his occupation? At, he looks I have at me. no idea. Means in your eight pages dissertation, assume, did you not have that? I assume because she was able to do her story and he was able to work part-time before the promotion. He was the manager at a green trouser factory. So he had to be earning some <laughs> yeah. kind of no, money. Hold on a second. That means she would have been making more, right? <laughs> if, make he was make, if he was working part-time taking care of the kids he and she was the working full-time, wouldn't she be making enough. more than him? That's hilarious. You would think the so. yes. But it's I don't think she rails. was because her editor wasn't letting her do shit before this story. But you said they were like, yeah, we're getting I love by, when they right? get on their little side they, tangents. They probably were getting by. <laughs> it's not a side tangent. It's the same thing we but were like you about. Guys, you guys always but just we like, quit. we like broke off. We like, we're yeah, like. Yeah, as soon as like we start talking about the same subject, you guys will argue something and then we'll get involved and then you guys just back out. And yeah, play. it's funny. You guys get really loud. <laughs> We're passionate. I love it. That's we the word you're looking for. We stop because we're so entertained by your guys' back and forth. We're just <laughs> yeah, we like spectators you old at that friends, point. No, I'm just like waiting for somebody to chime in. You guys plant seeds and then you watch it fucking grow and you, you don't, the hell out of here. don't do it. I already <laughs> said what I had to say. Like I can't believe he was backing that guy, but he is. I'm so. watering it. I got the hose. <laughs> I'm going to stand by it until I find out what this man's job was. Husband was a douche. Case closed. Pre-promotion. Hey, is there a correlation between... Who has girlfriends and who doesn't? Well, that depends on what you call girlfriends. <laughs> Act like there's a woman in the room. Wells. I can have girlfriends without dating them. Your your vat of lotion by your bed does not. <laughs> does you not have girls. A girl. You're talking about girl space friends. That's right. 
exactly. He's talking about relationships. Oh. Yeah. Not relations. I'll let you all have all the relationships you want to. But if you want to talk about girlfriends, you better be more specific. <laughs> Women out there, do you want to come and su- support Ian? If you could well, he goes away for three face. nights a week, and Which you would cook him dinner every night. Not you, me. I mean, you gotta you gotta go downstairs and bury his bodies for him and all that stuff. I mean, do you really want that, ladies? Well, that uh, that's how I know the one. Because she be won't be buried. I won't. I won't even. <laughs> if, she, have to ask if, her. She escapes, if she escapes, if she escapes, she'd be like, <laughs> "You're the one. You're the one, baby. <laughs> you are the one. You are the one." Set it free, and if she comes back, you know. That's right. Thank you, man. See, I like that shit, Trent. But you don't set anybody free, so it's, you, <laughs> it's not setting them free. They're escaping. You're all right, no matter what Mean says about you. Let's rate this movie. Did you say rape this movie? Wow. Yeah, we're we're on the wind down. <laughs> it's been a long episode. I, I talked for a long time, so let's get. Well, it you ready. only had 18 pages. Of I know. <laughs> That's good for you, though. This You're like, down a little bit. This is like <laughs> yeah, this, right. This is a, it's progress. It's getting shorter. This has been a good conversation, though. Anyone still like I said, your episodes might be longer, but they're interesting. They don't seem like they're as long as they are. Well, it's because we found out your your true stance on yeah. male you never and female sexist relationships. Pig. You never lie about your episode length. Man, I y'all, that can't, today. y'all can't judge me until we find out what his job was. Pre-promotion. He was being an asshole. <laughs> All right. Do we start since I yeah. did this episode? I give that movie uh, six... It was good, like they said, but not great. It had mm-hmm. that David Fincher kind of feel, had the coloring even of a David Fincher film. A lot of blue. A lot of blues. Yeah. Um, I like the storyline. I do think that they kind of exaggerated at the end to get you to think it was multiple people, even though people still think it's multiple people. But was, they were trying to tell that, like it was true. Yeah. You know, I didn't like that, but... I was prepared to give it a 6.5 until I learned that they made all that crap up. And now I'm kind of like, mm. <laughs> well, they didn't technically make it all up, but just the guy that went to Michigan, yeah. they definitely exaggerated that character. But they incorporated it into line. the story oh, that exactly. it didn't belong in. Exactly. Um, so what are you giving it? I'll give it a 6.5. I'll stick with my guns. I, I was going to give it a 6.5 until I found all this shit, and it pissed me off. So I'm okay, you're going to 6.5. I'm not trying to talk six. you down. Stop letting other people's Locked in. Lock opinions it in. influence you. Write own. it down, means it's a 6. We're keeping a logbook right. of all of our right. movie reviews. <laughs> 6. I'm going to give it a 6.5. I do agree. It had that very uh, dark, like cloudy, grainy tone to it. Uh, there was no sunshine in this movie at all, I felt like. Uh, poor David Dustmotion. Uh, he's fantastic, but he plays a creep in 90% of the movies <laughs> he's about in. typecast. Yeah. But uh, he did great. He did great. Felt for him when he got shivved, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I felt for him because like he hangs up the phone. Fu- it was funny because he seemed like real nervous and scared. He was like, I'll tell you what. Come and talk to me tomorrow, and uh, we'll, we'll, I'll let you in on something. He gets off the phone, and then he's just all cocky strutting toward the stairwell. And that guy's just, like, watching him the whole time. Now, yeah. During that scene, I was like, why? Why? The the pictures does not show him. Like, you can find him online. The picture does not show him in the bed, but it shows the bed after he was stabbed. There's a large pool of blood right in the middle of the bed that he got stabbed in. So, I mean, it, it was definitely a heart or an artery bled out pretty quick, probably. I don't know why I need to say that, but I'm just saying. Yeah, it's the horror you know. Well, did he go into his room or like in the movie? I thought he was going like down. Like, and it also, like, yeah. a, like it's like a, an infirmary, so I'm assuming like a 
little hospital bed looking thing. Also, in your story, it said that he took a. It said something about he took a stab to the like heart or something like that. So did he not get stabbed multiple times like he did in the movie? What I researched, he just got stabbed directly to the heart. It didn't say multiple times. What are you ready, Wells? Giving it a. I'm gonna give it a solid six. Like I said, I put it right up there with Zodiac. I enjoyed the movie for the time that I watched it. Uh, I was interested in the story, interested in the outcome. I think it's amazing that this story happened in like the 60s. And in 2023, we're still sitting here doing an episode about debating on what we think actually happened. So we got a 6.25 overall average. That's what you got. This movie gets a pass. It's not trash. Don't look at me again. Like, what's no, you say that? Him? What's trash? You. Uh, Kira Knightley did a good job. I thought Kira Knightley did a great job, and yeah. the other woman too, her little partner. Kira Knightley did a great job. Let me tell you something about Kira Knightley. <laughs> yeah, great, <laughs> great. Her partner too. I don't know. I'm usually, that I'm usually not a fan of. Did great. I'm not a fan of Kira Knightley. Really? Usually, I'm I don't not. think I've ever heard her do an American accent I know, before, right? so it was very jarring at first. Yeah. I'm sure she probably has in movies I haven't seen, but she did I don't job. really know her from a whole lot, to be honest with you. I think, like, what? Pirates of the Caribbean, that's about it. Have stuff. you seen the real picture of the real lady she plays? I did in the movie. A lot different. Yep. A lot different. Facts. Pass or trash? <laughs> Pass. Mary Kira? Kill. No. You mean trash. The real lady. The real lady. Trash. Yeah. Kira yeah. get a pass? You're right. Or do you Kira pass gets on a her? pass for sure, no matter what Why does he keep plays. diving at the mic when he says, nah. I want the nah, people to know nah. that I'm real with this, son. <laughs> okay. What about done? I have to We're be. done. That's all I got, man. <laughs> I have no more notes. We've been talking about We're not about done until we about... solve this case. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. We'll check the back Salvo in. did it, let's say. There we go. He did I'll vote on that. I'll vote He's on that. He's guilty, so the I Salvo. <laughs> All in All right. favor say aye. 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 Nay. So this has been the horror you know, guys. <laughs> the Boston Strangler episode that la- seems like it lasted forever. Yeah. Means I, apologizes if you means guys get all choked listening to this. I really didn't expect a 25-minute talk about the movie, but we just did 25 minutes about the movie. Do you think it would and be I, shorter? I don't know. like Because the movie just it didn't really like go with the story, I guess. So I figured... We yeah, talked a little bit about it. But. 17 minutes of that was the husband debate. So, <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember. We might have to cut some it's of that out. Important. Is that what you're saying? That was the pivotal that part of the, the movie. No, don't cut it out because the people who listen to this episode are going to be asking the same questions. We'll put a poll out on this are episode. They? Was the husband a douche? So. Yes or no? <laughs> I hope so. The we husband. He had whole. so much to do with the movie. I just thought it was so funny like how like redo this supportive he was. And then out of nowhere, he was just like... Your mother is here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got an outro of this. Okay. You ready? Who's going to take your mother home? I guess I'll do it. So, guys, that's been the Boston Strangler. Thanks for sticking with us. We are the Horror You Know podcast. You guys have anything else to say on it? Nope. I'm Darren. I'm in. I'm in. And I'm Trent. Husband was a douche. <laughs> <laughs> Stay spooky, my friends. Can I get sperm over there? I'm strangling. Spermatozoa in his throat. Strangler, he's back. In the dead of night, when the moon is high, and the shadows dance, the evil will rise.